Hello and welcome to another extra special, extracurricular, extra wonderful episode of Normandy FM. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined as always by Kenneth Shepard, my fellow co-host, my my co-pilot in the journey that is Normandy FM. Ken, how are you doing this week? Does that make me Edie in this scenario? That's, I guess, I don't know. She is the co-pilot of the Normandy. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole other video game series that we're not talking about today. We talked about that for a year already. We don't need to do is Edie Is Edie the co-pilot, though? That's like, I don't know. I mean, that's who else like, would it be? That's like looking at a kid using a calculator and being like, yeah, that TI-83 is their co-pilot. Like, that's that's not how Dang. that works. <laughs> Y'all, you, you heard it here. Eric Van Allen has retroactively said that synthetics are just mach- like these machines, these no, no more living than an app on your phone. I like how you went that way instead of saying Eric Van Allen says you can love a calculator, which is what I fully believe. Me and I mean, me and my wife, the TI eighty four. Whatever gets your rocks off, you'll have a little. You know, what's a baby calculator? I fall in love with anything that can play Doom. So, mm. <laughs> um, God, what a weird way to start this podcast. Hello uh, to anyone who's never been here before. I know, right? Like, if this is your first time, what are you doing? We have like a million other episodes. Go listen to those first. Come on now. Uh, for those who are tuning in and in a timely manner, we actually have a non-Dragon Age thing to talk about today, uh, another mild uh, tease, let's say, a rumor, if you will, has surfaced about Mass Effect Trilogy, so we'll talk about that at the end of the show, along with answer a listener question, because we finally had somebody send in a listener question. Uh, we do have a tier on that for patreon.com slash normandyfm. Uh, if you back a certain tier, you're always free to uh, send us a question. We'll talk about it on air. And somebody has taken advantage of that ability this week, so we will talk about it a little bit. Uh, that'll be at the end. But to start off uh, this week, we will be talking about two things. The the attack on Haven in Dragon Age Inquisition and uh, the establishment of, I guess, establishment? Uh, Discovery? Squatting of Skyhold. <laughs> um, look. We'll talk about that once we get there, but we are talking about Haven and then Skyhold. Uh, the actual mission names are In Your Heart Shall Burn, which, fun fact, is the name of our PAX panel that is happening. Uh, we're very excited for that. Uh, and also From the Ashes, which is kind of just a really, like, it's a thing that happens. I feel like it just appears and then disappears, pretty much. Uh, but we'll talk about In Your Heart Shall Burn first. Um, so this takes place... Uh, I mean, chronologically, it takes place after we have secured the help of either the mages or the Templars to seal the breach that is in Haven. And, you know, we've been spending this whole episode, last week's episode, building up to that point of like, okay, we've got our forces, this magic power, either through the mages, who are naturally magically powerful, the Templars who just kind of huff magic and then blasted at things. Um, we, we've got those folks around and we still have to like initiate it from the war table uh, and use power and all that because this is a video game still. Uh, but we go in there and we seal the breach. Yeah, awesome. It's a weird thing. Just cause, like, it's one of those things where like the marketing of the game masks like, what the game actually is. To the point where, like, you're, the thing that they advertise this game as 
you solve like within the first like eight hours. It's because like when, when I remember when I first played it, and I was like, oh, we did the thing, the thing that we like the Inquisition was founded to do. We just did it. So what could possibly go wrong? What else could possibly happen? And yeah, I mean, it seems pretty cool though. Like you got all these. Well, I mean, I don't know what the Snowpower one looks like, but you got all these mages that uh, are like like Cassandra commands them like help the Inqu- help the Inquisitor raise up your hand with the mark and all finally just like just works the thing go the way and it's nice yeah so mine was uh basically the templars do their thing which if you've seen the the templar side of things uh they basically just stab their swords into the ground and make magic uh and so they just kind of all did that in a row behind cassandra and Solus was there as well and Solus was like throw your hand up to the breach mm. now and yeah it's I think the weird thing for me was I maybe was misremembering this as the the fight that happens at the beginning of the game, but I totally expected like a little boss fight here against like some sort of demon or something or some sort of greater fight that would then escalate into Haven. I totally forgot that you kind of just get a cutscene where it's like, hey, good job, you did the mm-hmm. thing, and it cuts back to Haven and everyone's dancing around and celebrating and having a good time and it feels a little anticlimactic at that point, mm-hmm. but um, I, I, I feel the, like that sense of dread also helps build up what comes next, though. Right. I think it's just, like, it feels anticlimactic because, like, there is that build-up that this is, like, the thing that everyone is, like, here to do. And when, mm-hmm. when you know, you've done it and you think you're done and that is only, like, a small part of what the actual threat is here maybe it's supposed to kind of feel like that not very satisfying at least that's my read on it at least like an is this is that really it like right. it can't be that easy sort of right. situation um yeah over, overall i mean it's it is what it is there's no point in like dissecting it too much but uh we have other things that we can piece apart here uh because once as everyone is partying and having a good time uh things are interrupted as we are uh i forget do we get the the warning first yes we get we get warned by someone that there there are forces approaching and depending depending on which path we took uh it will be uh cole for for ken which i feel is is very suiting actually to to who that character is like it it fits that character very well um for me it was dorian uh who, who still makes a great entrance uh he, he makes a, a really, really good entrance here where he's basically just like, oh, hey, by the way, uh, I'm a mage, and there's a bunch of mages that want to murder you right now, and they're, they're coming down the cliffs. Real king shit. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, that, that's the moment where we kind of get a little bit of a sense of scale of what we're up against, because not only do we have all these forces, you know, bearing down on Haven, you know, like it's Helm's Deep, but... We also see a dragon. There's a dragon here. Uh oh. <laughs> um, An arch demon, to be specific. Well, so that was one of the things that I definitely wanted to talk about. Was very early on, they're very much like we don't know if it's a dragon or an arch demon, and there's very much like there's a lot of confusion around Corypheus as well that I think we'll probably get to as we we talk further into this episode, but. Um, very early on it it seems like because you know those those are two very different things for whatever reason you know like an arch demon is a dragon but a dragon is not an arch demon 
like, like an Arceum is basically a darkspawn dragon, right? It's the um, spirit of an old god corrupted to look like a dragon. Right. But I'm just saying for, like, I, I don't know, taxonomic purposes, um, like, <laughs> basically, you know, this this thing is a dragon. They just don't know whether it is a darkspawn, like an actual archdemon that has been bent to the will of Corypheus, or if it is just a dragon that is obeying the will of Corypheus. Um, but it is obeying the will of Corypheus, and it's breathing fire. And also, depending on whichever origin or origin um, side we picked, uh, Corypheus will be flanked by either um, oh, and she's in my path, and I suddenly can't re- Calpurnia. Um, Calpurnia, who is the kind of the leader of the Venatori for the corrupted Venatori. Um, or if it's the Red Templars, as Ken had, you get to see an old pal. Samson. Yeah. How'd, how'd you feel about famous Dragon Age character Samson <laughs> making a return? Uh, I mean, it, it's one of those... It was, well, okay, when, when I first played the game, like back in 2014, it, one, it was one of the things that didn't like quite hit me initially because Dragon Age 2 and Dragon Age Inquisition don't look anything like each other, so like a character... Can look completely different in Inquisition, and I like not recognize them. Um, ultimately, it's kind of weird to me that they had a returning character for the mage, like for the the mage route to be like you know in, in charge of the Templars, but Calpurnia is this brand new character made whole cloth for Inquisition. Because um, mm-hmm. like in theory, I think that the idea is that like the the character that, it, or at least in the case of Samson, is like sort of this character that is was essentially involved with the Mage Templar War and to some capacity that you would have like crossed paths with them at some point. Um, but then you have Calpurnia who's just this random woman who we have never met before. She's like I think her only other appearance in the series is in a comic. And like I I and all and this is my third playthrough of the game, I've never met her because she doesn't show up in any other point in any other thing. Like because and it's the same thing on your side with Samson. Like he's not going to show up in that game, regardless, just because right. his role has been you know taken by somebody else. So I don't know. It's like a weird thing. Like I didn't, and up to the point like I played, I still don't. I haven't had like a real reaction to Samson being there. Just like like oh, you were this dick in Dragon Age Two that I like gave a second chance or like told Cullen to give you a second chance and then came and bit us everybody, everybody in the ass. So. Yeah, does, I don't really have much feeling about him one way or another. Does Colin so make any comment about that at any point during the game? Yeah, I mean, there's like, well, I mean, this isn't a spoiler, but like when we get to Skyhold, it's like a you know a separate mission that mm. involves Colin, and he's like, oh, I've got some contacts that can maybe help us uh, figure out what Samson's up to, and and I think that is obviously like there's probably like an major equivalent, but I don't know what it is. But you know what? That's probably the explanation for how they get around like. Because um, if you do the Templar route, that's how you find out that Corypheus wants to attack the um, the Empress, mm-hmm. um, and so that's how you that sets up the Winter Palace. But does the Colin thing with Samson then set up the Winter Palace for you? Uh, no, the um, in the the the, uh, the alternate timeline that we go through uh, that Alexius sends uh, you oh. through. Yeah, like, it's one of the things that they tell us about, like, that uh, Corypheus had done in the future where oh, the Inquisition okay, went around. Mind. Never mind. So, yeah. Okay. I was like, oh, maybe that makes sense. Okay, no, never mind. 
Um, anyways, so it's at this point that um, I mean we have we have our pals join us. We got to pick our party. Um, well, let's so circle around real quick. Yeah, because we didn't really talk about the Corypheus reveal. I mean, so Corypheus shows up, but I think even at this point we're kind of not really familiar with who he is i mean they say the name corypheus um like whoever comes to warn you is like corypheus is here and he's like mad that you closed the breach and he's bringing his army down upon you uh but they don't really like get into the reasons why until you well, actually meet corypheus right well i'm, I'm talking about like you had not played legacy when you first played this game Right. So, I guess what, what was your initial reaction to this guy? Because like, when like ha- having played it when I first played Inquisition, it felt like a, you know an actual reveal. Like, oh, this person that you thought one that you thought was dead, and two, like, uh, it's like you've only been hearing about not never by, by name, um, has shown up, and you're, oh, you're supposed to have like you know a, a reaction to it. So, because when we had Ty on, they were talking about how. It bothered them that uh, Inquisition, like set up for Inquisition, was this uh, DLC that nobody played. So, like, what was your reaction initially as a person that had not played that DLC? Um, just kind of like, okay, here's here's the big bad, and he's got a whole army and a dragon and all that. That's pretty neat, you know. I was, I I think my reaction was just kind of muted because, um, and and to Ty's point, like, there's there's some story there i feel if you have played legacy but even now having played legacy like all that all i feel that really does is kind of set up a thing that they explain anyways in inquisition like oh this is who this character was and i mean you end up talking to a character later on that i mean we should probably talk about this episode now i'm suddenly thinking about it just because i feel that like lines up better but um anyways uh you know you can get the lowdown and that's kind of how i brought that in and understood it so for me it was just like oh okay you know that character went off did their own thing while i wasn't like peeking in with my gamer powers or whatever (laughs) and uh and then i come back and i find out that on one of their adventures this thing happens um i don't think i even knew for the longest time that legacy was specifically about corypheus um I thought it was more about like the Hawk family because that's kind of the way they set it up, right? It's like, oh, it's this legacy thing of, oh, it's Hawk's family and Hawk's ties and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't really know about the Corypheus connection for a while. Uh, That being said, like, it is kind of cool, you know, seeing that character and all that kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, like, the the shock is taken away because I already knew it was coming, but it's, I, I, I think the other factor of it is that he's he's not really a character yet let me put it that way Mm -hmm. um for me at least he's just kind of a big bad um to the point that he has kind of less characterization uh than like the architect at this point Mm because the architect i kind of understood the architect's goals i understood why the architect was fighting the the big mama and and uh i i got some of the things that were going on there but all i really knew and all we really know about corypheus at this point is that ancient powerful being says they've gone to a certain place is really pissed off and wants to try it again 
that's that's about it um mm. i don't feel the motivations there yet so I, I don't know that legacy there wasn't much more to that character in legacy either so mm. but we do we do gather our party and head on down this is not the first time we'll gather our party we'll do it a couple times but first we have to kind of defend some trebuchets and fight a bunch of enemies and stuff like that um and we do get actually a fun fight where the i think it's the commander one of the commanders like like whoever would have been the person you talk to on the opposite side of the mage templar thing shows up because i had to fight um fiona at at one of the mm. trebuchets i don't know if you had to fight the lord seeker or not i don't recall Mm, i don't think so I just remembered because she but, showed up as like a named enemy, and I was like, "Oh, hey!" That's, oh, so there's um, not like a cutscene. It was just no, like th- no. This is just she was one of the named. She was one of the enemies that showed up at when I was defending the the trebuchets. I think the mm. south, or no, the one that you had to actually like. I, it might have been later. It might have been. Yeah, it's when you had to actually man the trebuchet and and. Uh, and turn it and like launch it and all that kind of stuff oh okay i'm i'm looking forward and like i know i know the person who is i guess the equivalent um i haven't done like i've never even gone near the templar stuff like i didn't i don't like have an association with this character with like anything significant Mm -hmm. so i did not i wouldn't have like recognized him on the battlefield in the way that you might have fiona um we'll put a pin in him because what, now the, I'm thinking about it. When, when, I mean, when we get... it's it's Lord Seeker Lucius, right? No, no, it's uh, Night Captain Denim. Oh, yours is Night Captain whatever his face is. Yeah, because I mean, well, I guess we talked about it uh, last week. Um, Lucius isn't there in right, so he's not here either. Like well, that. I mean, I mean that makes sense because in the Templar story, you discover that Lucius is just envy demon so um i guess that would make sense because i think that night captain is one of the characters you have to fight and kill in the templar side of things so that makes a little bit of sense or maybe it might have actually been one of the characters that you end up saving i'd have to go back and and check the wiki but i know that that is a named character in that templar side of things so um gotta say though kind of weird that like weirdly impersonal and i'm not like it makes me kind of sad that fiona just gets like relegated to that i guess i don't yeah do you mm, okay we'll we'll discuss something in in skyhold but do you judge her she might actually like she might die on the field there and then we have like a discussion or, or like a she might get captured on the field i can't remember i'll i'll google that in a second um I guess we can talk about so after we've kind of defended the trebuchets and all that we have to do a return to the gate where we're basically like okay we can't hold where we are anymore we've got to run back to the chantry and what ensues is possibly one of the most stressful things in dragon Mm. age ever (laughs) um ken how do you feel about the whole like help everyone in haven thing it it sucked to the first time I played this game, but when I knew it was coming in my subsequent playthroughs, it's been... I mean, it's been a little bit easier because like, I have a sense of where people are because 
like for context for everyone listening, like there are like people from Haven who are kind of scattered around the area that you've been existing in, like as your home base for the whole game up to this point, and you're on a time limit to save them, and if you don't, they're just not there for whatever comes next. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, they get re- like if they serve like a mechanical function, they get replaced. But like people acknowledge that this person's died and that um, you know just shit happened. Um, it's stressful. Like it is very very stressful. But I again like since I knew it, uh, that it was coming and at least had like some recollection of where people would be, I kind of knew. Like I didn't waste my time in the way that I did, like running around trying to figure out where people were the first time I ever played. But uh. Because yeah. I, I, I didn't lose anybody for the playthrough for the, the show. Yeah, I, I don't think I lost anybody either. There's not really, like, a good, like, metric for that, I think. I think the only way that you can actually know is... I think there's an Xbox achievement for it. And hmm. you also get, like, a Varric approval tick for it. Um, but that's, like, really the only way that you can know as far as I tell and I I, I checked because I went back around and I talked to all of them and I was like oh hey you know you're all here you're all here or this you know this person isn't here but they're not here because they just chose to do something else they're still alive and all that that's like one of the weirder ones in Skyhold but Mm -hmm. um I think they do at some point say like oh I think that's everybody or something like that so I guess one way to know um yeah one of your party members also I think I know if you have Varric, because he's the one who said it for me. He's like, I think that's everybody. Let's get to the yep. Chandry or whatever. Um, so, uh, and most of them, I'd say, like, once you know where they are, it's not that hard. Because, like, the I remember the one where somebody's in a burning building was tough because it was not, like, readily apparent what to do. Other ones will, like, trigger um, at bad times. So you have to kind of, like, engage fights and, and kite them a little bit so you're not triggering... A ton of them the one that's really hard is the, the two morons that are standing next to the flammable like exploding pots that <laughs> that you have to go like pick them up like you revive them and that one you you have like a very very tight um window to, to yep. get both of them um, there was also one that you had to like climb on to like scaffolding like next to somebody or like next to the, the building they were in and yes. then, like, go into the window and then be able to, like, break through on the other side, which yes. I think was registered most with, like, melee weapons. So, like, I was a mage. Like, I got in there as my mage character. I was like, oh, this is not registering the way I need it to. And I think I switched to bull or something and was able to, like, attack the door from the other side and it worked or something like that. Yeah, that I had to do that as well. You, like, you can get inside. I think you can get it from the outside if you use certain spells. Like, I know the explosive bolt from the... From archers will open it from mm-hmm. the outside as well but um yeah it's just kind of hectic um it's it's cool i i, I do think it's a cool idea yeah. um i guess can i also say now just because i doubt we're going to talk about it when we get there um i don't feel it actually has consequences in the grand scheme of thing which is yeah. kind of a bummer because i understand why they basically have to be like well if this character dies we still need that thing to function you know, we need an apothecary or we need a tavern owner or whatever when we get to the next area. So we will just concoct an NPC that will exist in that place. And in some cases, 
I feel like the NPCs, like in one specific instance, like the NPC always gets replaced either way. So, um, it's. I, th- I think that feels like, to me, like less. It doesn't feel like very contrived, I guess, just because like. In universe, that makes sense. Like, okay, we lost our specialist in this field. We need to find somebody else, and and lo- as long as people are like acknowledged, which they, which they are, just through like dialogue with other people. That feels earned and it feels meaningful. Um, I, guess, I think it would it would be just it would be like I feel like it would be bullshit for them to be like, oh, you lost that person in in Haven, so throughout the game you're gonna completely miss out on this particular like mechanic of how the yeah, game works. I don't think it should be that way. I just think maybe it should be like a bigger thing. Like if you lose your apothecary, you have to go on a quest and go find and recruit a new one, or you have to like mm. keep an eye out in local towns and follow rumors and stuff like that. And then go recruit somebody like you recruit agents for the inquisition and stuff like that. Um, like that, that could have been a potentially interesting thing. Um, so we get in and chancellor Roderick, that, blow hard is all injured and stuff because apparently he was trying to do good um and we we basically figure it out we deduce uh thanks to the help of dorian in my case i guess cole and yours um that the herald is probably the target and not the inquisition so um roderick basically has a moment where he sees or he remembers like oh i once took a secret tunnel path or a secret cave path that got me to haven and i only just now remembered it and i was sitting there he's like this memory must have been given to me by the maker so you are of the maker and this moment is of the maker and i'm like dude you're just a moron you didn't remember that there's a secret <laughs> tunnel into the church like <laughs> of all the things that the dude running this church should know it's the secret tunnel that goes into the church um yeah, yeah. um but you know basically they concoct a plan where the inquisition can get away but that entails that you know we as the inquisitor would then have to be the bait um so and also bring down avalanche yes and, and that's the other thing is we're going to move on corypheus uh just straight up we're, <laughs> we're going to pull that card out of the mulan deck bring the mountain down on corypheus uh, using a trebuchet so um you know we can kind of have some choices here to be like oh i'll sacrifice myself or we can try and be like oh you know why why does he want me why you? and all that kind of stuff um and then we gotta pick a party and go fight corypheus i guess like basically we just go so this is actually um not the earlier trebuchet part but this is the part where um night captain denim or fiona will appear and i did check fiona does uh canonically die here uh mm-hmm. if you are if you're on that route um she she is for all intents and purposes dead in the templar right. playthrough of this uh how they resolve that later or if they resolve it ever who knows but um we we fight just a bunch of groups while we keep turning and aiming mm. and loading this trebuchet, and then in comes the dragon. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean that fight, like, I mean it's, I guess depending on how you do it, it, might seem kind of uneventful. But like, I was using like my like I, I have like an ice wall spell to like 
block off people so I would have like more time to keep turning the thing and kind of like yeah. try and you know like when it gives you like a, a separate objective I feel like you can find interesting ways to both like continue the fight and also like still try and get your thing done and it like just gives it that sense of urgency that a lot of these fights kind of don't have because like you know you're mm-hmm. you know not necessarily on a time limit because like there there's like a sense of frustration like when oh I gotta stop what I'm doing to fight the enemies but if you have like certain abilities and kind of you know really strategize and like keep the person that is turning the thing safe um I don't know it could be one of the more interesting um like non-boss encounters in the game in my opinion I I like the idea of it being like a sense of urgency because you're not necessarily trying to defeat the enemy in the traditional sense you're just trying to like overcome the enemy Mm -hmm. and you're fighting against odds that you know are stacked against you I think that's what makes it an interesting fight um I use stealth because I'm a rogue character, so basically I would, like, kind of stealth out of the fight and go over and start turning, and uh, enemies would take a while to re-aggro mm-hmm. back onto me, so that gave me a lot of time to turn, and then I'd kind of, like, fight for a little bit and then re-stealth and, and do it again, so yeah. You can kind of take different approaches. Uh, I imagine if I was somebody who actually spent more time commanding and using my other characters, I could have done something with that, too, but I don't know. I'm just always that person that wants to just play... Uh, my character and nobody else so um I, I did have to kind of start commanding them because those archers uh start doing some damage if you don't take them out boy howdy uh i think i was down to two characters by the end of mm-hmm. this fight um one of the points where the tactical view really came in handy because like i could still focus on what i was doing as the inquisitor and like just kind of you know make everyone else do what I needed them to do to keep them keep enemies off of me so I can keep doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So once we have the trebuchet lined up, uh, this is when we find out that the Elder One, which I, is Corypheus, uh, and he kind of gives us a little monologue that doesn't say much, but says enough. Um, I mean, so the big revelation is that he claims... As, as we already know, that he is a one of the original Tevinter mages that went to the Golden City and uh, he claims that it was empty, that there was nothing inside and uh, that there is no maker on the throne and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so he basically, as we've now learned, since he has awakened and become powerful once again, he has decided that if the throne is empty... Then he's going to reopen, he's going to tear open the barrier between this world and the next and become a god. You know, become the god that he believes himself to be, uh, yep. that he believes he deserves to be. Um, this is the part where I started seeing Corypheus as more of an interesting character, if only because that's. I don't want to say it's like a human motivation. But it is, like, a more interesting... Like, most of the motivations are very much, like... When, when you look at, at past villains... I mean, Darkspawn had no motivation. They were just kind of... Well, Darkspawn liked to murder everything, so... They're, they're a force of nature instead of a... Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't make for a compelling villain. And the Airshock, great villain. But then, like, we kind of didn't really have a villain so much as a series of stupid events that happened after the Airshock. Mm. Uh, and... I think even if you look at 
writing at large it's really easy to let the villain just kind of be this like comic booky type character and and i'm not gonna lie and say corypheus doesn't have like an air of that but the thing i like about his motivation is it feels like it ties into the themes of the game very well because he is Mm -hmm. somebody who wanted to glimpse the face of god and was so shaken by finding nothing that he decided like oh well then i will just become god instead and give right. myself the the thing i've been looking for right i think on that same note like there's i i, I say it's, it's human but it's like the inquisitor can be anything of uh, those four races that we can play as but like there's also like it, it kind of ties into the themes of the game too where his obstacle is like something that somebody that is very grounded and just like real and you know in all of this it's and we'll get to, there's gonna be like a very specific scene that comes up after this that we can talk about where it kind of gets into where your character exists in like these like this holy war this like sort mm-hmm. of uh grander world that is supposedly uh supposed to be like have like these godly figures in it um but you're just like this fucking person in in the end that just like was someone the right place at the wrong time and like Corypheus realizes he can't take the mark from us, but because it is it is bound to us, and but we are just this fucking rando that stumbled upon it, and this sort of like manifest destiny that Corypheus goes on about is being de- deprived from him by this nobody, and that to me is something that kind of like speaks to the ways in which I kind of role play my characters throughout this whole game, in that like everyone has these, like, ideas in their head about how important all of this shit is mm-hmm. and, like, how important, like, our... Like, how, how symbolic it is that we are getting in the way of it when really, like, I'm a, I'm a person that thinks that it's all just fucking happenstance and everyone else is the one that's telling me that, no, this is, like, predetermined by God. You are some kind of figurehead in this, like, grander framework of the universe and just kind of... You know, it's a, it's a nice little through line throughout the whole game, I think. Mm-hmm. And it ties into a thing later. Um, one quick thing that we got to hit before Corypheus gets mulan is that uh, he has an orb. A very mm-hmm. peculiar orb that he tries to use to steal the power back. As we learn, uh, the ritual that our <laughs> Inquisitor just kind of walked in on... Uh, was intended to give him the anchor and he is trying to steal the power back with this orb um and at, at one point he makes a comment of like i will take it by force if i have to you kind of implying that he will literally kill you to take the anchor if he has to um that orb is powerful we will uh touch on that in a moment I uh, just wanted to pull a pin in that. But first, uh, we got to bring down that mountain uh, with just a great cutscene where we see the flare go up in the distance, signaling that everyone's okay. And then we just launch that bad boy and bring down all of Haven. And we go tumbling into the undertow with it. Um, after a while, uh, we awaken, uh, we fight through some demons, and we get our. F- focus ability uh the mark first of the of rift yeah the, the well the first of several let's put it that way well you get uh, one per character yeah but 
I guess we'll just say this now. The, at least on the rogue side, the other ones are not really that good. At least from what I've seen. The the mark I, the mark of the rift seems like the most useful one. It's definitely I remember as a mage is the one that I use a lot too, just because it worked with my like AoE build. Right. I mean like so for for context, these are like mm, how to describe them. They're like one off abilities that every character in the game gets. That it's like a, it's like a super meter, basically. Right. That is like party wide. So, like, for example, Dorian has haste. Like, if you, um, like, if you spec him out to where he gets that, like, you go to a specialization tree, he has haste, which will, which is, you know, it used to be a, um, like, a, you know, a, a standard ability that most mages can just have, um, but now it's been given to one specific character that has to be in your party so, so you can activate that, and, uh, you also can get, you can get access to these as the Inquisitor, depending on your specialization, um, but the kind of like primary one that is given specifically to the Inquisitor is the Mark of the Rift, which is this area effect, like kind of like probably like the most powerful ability in the game in terms of like damage, um, that kind of flows down and anyone that's caught in it, caught in it, and does a lot of damage. It's something I always save up for any dragon fights. Um, and then there'll be more that the Inquisitor specifically gets in DLC, but. Um, that is sort of like the mechanic going on here. Yeah. So uh, just for context, for the ones that you can get through uh, Rogue, because that's what I'm playing, Hail of Arrows is pretty all right. I mean, that's that's one that we all kind of understand, um, which is pretty similar to the one uh, that you would use in Dragon Age 2, where it just kind of drops like the rain. Of, I think it was called... No, it was called Hail of Arrows. Yeah. Or Rain of Arrows, what was called another one. But yeah, it's an AoE, like, dump a shit ton of arrows in an area. Um, And for Artificer, which is not a specialization I'm particularly wild about um, for a variety of reasons, but um, it does have kind of a cool ability that's a... um, You, like, dash to a target and like do a bunch of damage and and do like a ton of hits and stuff and from what i understand it was kind of a reference to jade empire which is kind of neat shout out to jade empire which, which we one? will eventually be getting to a thousand cuts hmm. um i think the name is just a reference but yeah so the right. I, so i'm going assassin specialization which we'll talk about specializations later on but yeah. um so those those are the two options for the other two you get tons of arrows or a bunch of slashes, right? Sounds great for for rogues. Uh, Assassin, which is the one that's all about, you know, like do huge damage to somebody and all that. Theirs is, you can cloak the whole party for three seconds. Okay, that's uh, nothing. But don't, if we get to tier three, it goes up to nine seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Three, six, nine damn that's not fine um <laughs> it's it's real bad yeah i am um, <laughs> no point I've, putting a point to that i'm a knight enchanter so i get resurgence which is like a old og mercy res like revive whole party um mm-hmm. in general like the, the economics of that aren't super great for me because like in there are very few scenarios where i am literally the only person that's still alive so I might as well just, like, you know, revive, like, normal, just, like, you know, go up, hold down X and do that. 
and then like use all of the vote points on um, Mark of the Rift, and you know it's, it's you know in in a world where we like we complained however many episodes ago about the way that this game handles healing. In a world where, like you didn't have any other like you know the more standard revival, both standard revival spell as well as just ability to go up and press X on somebody, it would be more useful. But in general, it's just the the scenarios are like it's such a situational thing in a situation that barely ever happens. So, I think Mark of the Rift is just so universally useful. Yeah, and I also don't feel like I was even using focus all that often until we get to trespasser and then like focus gets a real buff in trespasser yep. in a way that i appreciated and was like hey cool this is what i wanted this to feel like in the original game that would have been neat if we could do that um anyways it's still neat uh and and especially for like my character who struggles dealing with crowds and has to get around that sometimes uh mm-hmm. it's definitely helped out in some situations where i know that i can throw that down when i'm just in the middle of a crowd and i need some way of like doing damage and killing some people um but a- after a while you know we learn our focus ability then we move out we go through a bunch of scenes of kind of stumbling between different campfires and out of the caves and into the mountain pass until finally we kind of pass out right in front of this uh like you know passage and we can hear the advisors running towards us um when we come to all the advisors uh, including cassandra are arguing in this camp that has been set up while mother giselle sits next to us and we you know can kind of comment on it and be like oh you know they're fighting you know that's good to know they're they've still got enough of life in them left to argue or whatever and all that kind of stuff uh it's it's kind of sweet to to have that moment where it's like okay everybody made it out like that's good um but we can talk to mother giselle and this is where we kind of lock in whether uh our uh whether our inquisitor is i believe they they call it faithful or Mm non-faithful but um it at least for me uh i had the option where you know we can talk about said the heavens are empty and all that kind of stuff should we believe corypheus and i just kind of gave her an answer of like we need more than faith um like that's not going to get us through this like faith alone is not going to get us out of this we need to be something more than that um i'm imagining you probably give a little bit of a stronger answer <laughs> i believe i picked this as a waste of time like oh okay i thought you would yeah. have gone with fanatical belief is to blame <laughs> mm. yeah, uh, i mean like that i mean sure but that's also like not it, it's more just like i the department that like starts to accept that like on the on the grand scale i'm not gonna be able to like undo the entire like chantry just by like being like being snide and petty in the midst of like people having uh these heated arguments but it was just more like that is like i i'm i'm more focused in these kind of conversations like what do i need to do for the present situation more so than mm-hmm. how, how can i be a symbol of one thing or another and it's sort of like mm-hmm. it's just kind of like like when i'm saying like, this is a waste of time like i am bored by the conversation i'm having to have right now when there are more there, there are more like pertinent issues right in front of us Mm -hmm. uh after this we get a little 
starts out kind of strange but then gets a little better uh cutscene where everyone sings this song which had they established at some point that this song was written down somewhere because i think it's supposed to be some known uh chantry song like okay a... it's 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 a known like hymn yeah okay okay the I was come. Kinda, yeah i was kind of like oh okay they're they're just all singing the the thing now that they all magically know the words to i know that the the, the one line repeats over and over again but <laughs> how they mm. know the rest um yeah and th- that seems like i imagine it reads differently it's like you are playing a character that is faithful just like that is one of the points where like i'm like i i, I can feel my character like being annoyed by the fact that he's in the midst of all of this because like again like nothing you say or uh do like is ever going to change a lot of people's mind about what you are and what any of this means and you kind of just have to grin and bear it for a lot of the stuff you have to just kind of like realize that people are coping the way that they want to and nothing that you do no matter how angry you are about the fact that this has been thrust onto you is going to change that um that's, and they do like i think of, i don't think like, they, they do a not. yeah they, they just they do a really good job of like making that scene like directing that scene in a way where it can read like the same thing can read multiple ways depending on the tone of your character. Yeah, yeah. Um, for for my character, it was definitely like, look, we need we need this right now. Even if it's not about like faith, it's about like all of us coming together and knowing that no matter how bad it is. Because I think that was the point where it did kind of hit me that like, oh, a lot of people just died, and we just yeah. had you know the closest thing we've had to calling home uh destroyed like we have everything against us and we're basically now lost in a mountain pass with nowhere to go no idea what to do all of our allies probably like abandoning us at this point and you know what the hell do we do from here uh when once i kind of realized all that i think that's when that moment set in which was like okay we need to regroup we need to get together and we need to remind ourselves that like all we need is everyone together and everything else will happen accordingly um and then we get a very interesting scene a very very interesting scene where solace uh pulls us aside and reveals to us that the orb that carivius has that he's trying to use to steal back the anchor's power is of elven origin um ken how did the scene play out for you um so you know solo takes me aside and it is very like hushed he doesn't want everyone to hear but there's also mm-hmm. like a feeling of hesitance for him to tell me about it at all because you know like there are options if you decide to be like that um to be like you know really accusatory and be like oh like this is your people's fault um that we've gotten ourselves in a situation i was like very understanding that like just because you know the magic is elven does not mean that i should blame elves for what how it is being used um but there is like that option for you to be i think i assume that he gets like disapproval in it that um you know you could just be like so you're are you you know just very suspicious of it um mm-hmm. but um i souls and i we're, we, we're chill we're, we're vibing mages here just acknowledging the ways in which 
magic has been used as a scapegoat for a lot of things, so I'm like, I'm not gonna go run out there and tell everybody that this is all your fault, so. Mm-hmm. For for my character, um, Adela Shelf, <laughs> this scene is essentially the same, but has very different connotations in the way it was it plays out and i i found like i noticed that the tone just feels so different because the first time i played through it as a male mage like you said it kind of felt like solace was being like look i don't want you to like suddenly distrust me because of this so i'm telling you because i trust you and i want you to trust me whereas when you are a dalish elf it's like solace is being like look they're going like this this is our or like this is our stuff and he's, it, the line he says, like, for you, he's like, um, I'm not certain how people will react when they learn of the Ord's origin. Whereas for me, it was like, we must prepare for their reaction when they learn that the orb is of our people. Yep. Um, and I chose the option that was like, they'll blame us eventually. Because uh, up to that point, I was getting pretty sick of getting called all kinds of nasty names every time i went everywhere and i was already getting pretty sick of all these people being like oh the herald is in an elf oh Mm. and like i knew that once i saw that i was like that is how they will disprove me that is how they will say that i am actually in league with corypheus and all that kind of stuff so um but also it just struck me as and, and maybe this is part of the reason why i want to explore the soulless romance a little bit more is he's kind of like laying the seeds there for being this character who's like you need to trust me because i have like our best interests in mind right um he's he's not just trying to protect his own ass he's trying to get you on his good side by saying like it's us versus them right um and in some ways it is like like you said there's there are very real reasons why Solus and even the Inquisitor in the situation would be wary of this information getting around without like being able to contextualize it first. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does also just kind of it lent a new aspect to the relationship between Solus and my Inquisitor that I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um. Anyways, then he he does some magic cutscene vision <laughs> where he cuts forward uh to skyhold um which is a castle that he is just aware of and knows that is abandoned and is hanging out in a place that we can get to and and squat in um do we ever actually like get the deed to this place or anything or do we just kind of occupy it <laughs> I mean, like, we just—if it's abandoned, who's got the deed? Is this, are we are we pulling squatters' rights on Skyhold here? <laughs> um, I, so. I thought there were I thought there were deeds. Like at, at this point, you would assume that they have evolved enough that they have the concept of deeds and like ownership mm. of a house and land and at least land. But well, Skyhold maybe... is also like kind of like on the outskirts of everything as i understand it like again like it's abandoned like people there's no one to make a claim for this place because it seems like anyone that might have at any point it's gone i'm going to i'm pulling over the lore because i feel like there was a lore reason for why it was abandoned um i mean the last known okay so I'm, i'm pulling open the wiki 
Um, the mountain peak it was built on was the site of rituals carried out by the elves during the height of their civilization, but was later leveled by early Ferelden's to provide the foundation of the fortress, making the keep Ferelden. Uh, it's changed hands, blah, 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 Ferelden Enchanter. Um, at one point, even dwarves took residence there. The last known owners of Skyhold lived certainly after the Third Blight, with Mason Gotzi suspecting that they had also uh that they also had an extensive trade network um when skyhold was rediscovered by the inquisition it had fallen into considerable disrepair in the years after its unknown last inhabitants had abandoned it and then i read further down the wiki and discovered that we will <laughs> learn more about this was, later <laughs> yeah i was like uh, i mean we will eventually yeah yeah no i i figured there was i knew that there's like a more reason for why uh this thing exists and is where the inquisition ends up but i was just trying to remember why it was particularly like if they had a more overt uh walking in the front door reason for why it was abandoned because i wanted to say it was a gray warden thing but it was not that's a different place um anyways we take up residence in Skyhold. We start establishing, you know, like a place where we can live and stay. And it obviously seems like a better place to set up uh, than Haven because Haven was kind of just a bunch of piles of sticks in front of a church. And this is like an actual keep where we can see enemies approaching from further than 20 feet it's away. Stronghold. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a stronghold. You know, those are important to have if you're trying to hold strong. Uh, and then we are approached uh, by the advisors and Cassandra and find out that uh, they are naming an inquisitor and Ken, it's going to be May. <laughs> Jesus it's, Christ. It's us. Um, we, we are the inquisitors now, officially, after we've been calling this character the inquisitor for the entirety of this podcast. We are actually becoming the inquisitor and we get a six sword even though the sword is only useful for one character class but we get a six sword anyways um it's at this point that you know we, we can kind of react in a few ways they'll give us approval or not uh, you know we can even call out like uh i can say like i'm not even human and you can be like you're gonna trust a mage with this <laughs> um yeah, what i said yeah uh yeah in both in my case you know cassandra was like we don't that's not what we need right now as a leader not you know like whatever um you know very cassandra answer uh but uh there will be no inquisition without you you will lead us and then we have to get up in front of the troops and give a speech and declare what we stand for what the inquisition stands for uh and this actually has some implications um first of all it kind of reaffirms like what our belief or non-belief is it also has some approval but it also plays into a system that we haven't talked about much at this point but which we should probably start noting at this point which is the divine election um which is not brought up for like a very long time but it's a system that's happening in the background of the game in ways that are not like they're never telegraphed to you um mm-hmm. but uh, we know like Justinia is presumed dead so like presumably the chantry is looking to replace her and 
it's not a choice that we're given, it's a choice that is made based on, like, the the culmination of everything we've done in the game by the time that we get to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, which I guess which is, I, you know... Yeah, I find that interesting, honestly. I like that system in a way that it's so completely hidden that you could just... Because I felt like when it got to the end, the first time I played, and it named the Divine, I was like, oh yeah, that is who I would have chosen. That's a good pick. And then I later learned that there were other characters who could have been the Divine, and I was like, wait, what? (laughs) But I I feel like they've tuned the numbers just right so that your decisions feel like they're reflected. What were you going to say again? There's one character in here that's like, I don't really get why she's even considered... Um, who who is it? Out of curiosity, I mean, we can just name who the three are. It's yeah, Leliana, okay. Cassandra, and Vivienne. Yeah, Vivienne is the one that just like, because you have to like really like go out of your way to make that happen, and like there's actually like a, um, a war table mission that you have to do to like put her forth to like even, uh, I think like, like it's almost like a, a secondary thing you have to kind of like unlock to like make it an option or like a possibility. Um, but we can, I guess, unpack that eventually, probably, like, in the Vivian episode. Um, but yeah, like, the, the, the idea here is that by making the decisions you do as the Inquisitor, you are paving the way for a particular type of leadership to be seen as valuable in the eyes of the Chantry. And, yeah, like, it, the character, like, I've had... The first time I ever played it, and I, when I was under the impression that it was a um, more like a choice-based thing, like I had told one person, "Oh, you should be the next divine because you give a shit," and um, that was what it ended up being in my epilogue. But then when I went and p- back and played, uh, like some DLC, and then just like played through the ending again, uh, somebody else was there, and I didn't at the time understand the system, and I didn't know why it was that way. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's interesting, but it it seems like it can be very or it might appear fickle, depending on uh, how you understand how it works. So, I think it's a reflection of a thing that's very hard to outward, like to to systemize. Which is, and I was thinking about this today because there was a there was a tweet from Kotaku's Luke Plunkett that was talking about uh, reviewing strategy games. And he was talking about how a lot of times like reviews of strategy games will just talk about systems and systems and systems and not really discuss what those systems mean because on a base level strategy game is about those systems right and they're very Mm. mechanics heavy but when you go a level deeper those games like crusader kings 3 and stuff like that speak to how all aspects of life play into those systems that we establish for ourselves those governments those powers the way that society interacts with the people and the people interact with the the ruling class and how class works you know it's like a strategy game like a ck3 resembles the way that a society functions and you the way that you kind of push and pull knobs and levers in that system reflects how that can change over time and create long-lasting change and also have unintended consequences and so in that way i think that's what this divine election system is trying to do is it's trying to quietly show you how the things that you are like you are choosing to do things as the inquisition and they will always have a direct effect you know like what it actually does which in this case there's there's only one direct outcome 
there's an indirect outcome which is it shapes how other people see you which is kind of that approval system uh where depending on what you pick you know sarah actually disapproves if you say that an elf will stand for us all (laughs) um for for reasons that are worth digging into when we get into the sarah episode but uh whereas like uh sarah will approve for all the other ones like mage dwarf canary all that um and that kind of shows how your actions indirectly affect people but there's like a third option where the inquisition as an entity is now standing for something and has Mm. a stated goal and that has power attached to it that has a weight attached to it and that's going to affect not just what people are talking about but the way people are thinking in the broader scheme of thetis and i think that's what it's trying to say because if you pick i'll set an example as a mage here vivienne gets a huge boost in the divine election uh and that's the largest boost that you can get for her in this specific option because now suddenly maybe people around thetis are going like oh well you know mage is leading the inquisition and the inquisition is an arm technically of the chantry and maybe that's like it kind of gets those gears turning whereas if you declare for faith you know suddenly cassandra the very faith-based person now that elevates her status or if you do what i did where you just say i'll do it because it's right um because um you know i want to do the right thing uh leliana gets elevated because leliana is very much a an almost like robin hood type character where she wants to defend the poor and dismantle some of the higher up systems right um or you can just be like corypheus must be stopped it doesn't do anything right like oh you did the bare you have the bare minimum (laughs) good job you two brain cells slammed together (laughs) in that brain and you got there you Mm. formed a whole sentence (laughs) i had um i ended up doing i fight for order not faith because that was like you know right after the the dawn will come and everyone singing and again attaching all of this sort of like mm-hmm. meaning to my presence there this is about me leading the people to get things not as much normalcy per se but like getting us back to a point where we are safe and capable of focusing on other things mm-hmm. like what's right in front of us and now we have skyhold we own we skyhold do. now and we get to do a few things. We get to trick the place out a little bit. You know, we get to choose the curtains and the throne. I chose a Kirkwall throne, which just looks so intimidating. <laughs> like mm. All the other thrones were like, hey, here's something that's a normal throne size. And this one was like, hey, this one stretches to the ceiling for some reason. It's unnecessarily massive. We don't know how we got it in here. It did not fit through the front door, but it's still mm. in one piece. There's no logical reason why this should be here. Uh, it's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> um, I think I tried it, and then when I realized how ridiculous it was, I just switched it back to the standard it's, one. It's um, comically large, and I feel that fits my uh, that fits my Inquisitor well. Like the energy at this point in my playthrough that I'm trying to channel through my Inquisitor is like. Uh, I mean, you've seen Thor Ragnarok, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's that Valkyrie energy when she's in that like ship and she pulls around the minigun. Uh, that's that energy I'm trying to channel right there. <laughs> uh, just that general Tessa Thompson uh, 
Valkyrie energy uh, in, in, in all walks of life. That's that's who I'm modeling my my Inquisitor after. At this point. All right. Um, and we Speaking also you know, what's up? I say, Speaking of Thrones. Oh, we got to sit on it. Yeah, we do have to sit on it. We have to make some decisions too. Um, I had to make a decision about. Oh, I forgot what his name was. All of a sudden, what was that dude's name? He sucked. I think I gave him back to the Templars. It was some dude that was supplying the Templars with a bunch of red lyrium. Um, so the first one I had to do was Lexius, which there was like a, this thing in the back of my brain that was like, so that that super handsome Tevinter Mage like seems to be close to this man. Might want to be a little lenient for my eth- like you know it's really ethical uh, mindset I've got here. Like, how am I gonna get in that man's pants? What I ended up doing, when I'm, I'm fucking kidding. It's fine. Because um, like there's like an option. There's like even as like a mage, there's um like an option to make him tranquil, which is fucked up. So like no, and then and Dorian like greatly disapproves by that. Um, and I think there's even like a conversation about afterwards where he's just like, I can't believe you fucking did that. Um, what I ended up doing was I ended up recruiting him as like an agent of the Inquisition to research the magic that he had used to go through time and find ways to like like find practical uses for that kind of stuff within the Inquisition. Um, mm. I know that, like, it gets brought up that, like, it was kind of, like, charged by the Breach, and now the Breach is gone. He does not have the same sort of, uh, like, ab- abilities that he had before. So he's... It's, I think it, it never really comes up in terms of, like, an actual quest line, but it is, you know, an, a uh, war table operation that you can do something with throughout. Um, and that, that comes up... Like, there's a lot of cho- choices in uh, these sit and judgments that can get you agents of the Inquisition that kind of they, they do i mean i don't like to use the word relegated to war table operations because those things do have like tangible influence on the state of things um even if they're not necessarily made readily apparent to you if you're not reading for nightcats and denim uh so i i thought i did both of these but um I opened the locked door to his quarters. I know that, but I didn't find the body, I guess. So that did not open the execution option for me. Um, and I also did not have the, the knowledge, the history knowledge, uh, needed to, yeah. And I didn't have the option to conscript him either. So uh, I guess I missed a thing there, but I basically just had the options of like, well, you can imprison him or you can give him to the Templars. And I was just like, you know what? given to the templars let them choose uh i felt like that was the right choice especially because i kind of conscripted the templars so um you know i'll throw them a bone uh they they deserve to have this one uh it's a show show of faith between the two parties uh which i i like in either situation and we will revisit this stuff at the end of i guess each of our major forthcoming main quests yep. once we get to them both uh here lies the abyss and wicked eyes wicked hearts but and then a couple there show up in like companion quests as well um and some just like side stuff like you kind of got to go to your way to get some of these things um because mm-hmm. i remember there was like a, i had like storm a base somewhere and uh <laughs> there was a a guy who was like clan i think i had killed and his um means of getting revenge was to throw goats at Skyhold. And so, like, it's a really funny scene, and, like, the whole thing is, um, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but 
Um, yeah, they're, they're some of them that are, like, a bit hidden away. But they're I've always, like, really into them, though. Just because, like, there's a part of me that's, like, a little uncomfortable that, like, that I'm in this position where I don't really like what I'm doing. It's more like I'm doing out of necessity for, like, survival's sake and just, like, trying to save the world because I know I'm the only one that can. That suddenly gets thrust in this position of, like, being able to judge people. So, like, I, in a lot of cases, I'm fairly lenient. Like, I've only uh, executed one character so far. Um, and we'll get to them eventually. But there is that weird sense of, like, you're very, very suddenly given a lot of power and however you're playing your character can play into the way... Because, like, you're given several options for a lot of these as well. So, like, I feel like this is usually um, an option for just about any sort of way that you might be role-playing your character until it'll kind of match up and you'd be kind of chill with. Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting way. I I think it's. I wish it was just used a little bit more often. But then I worry if it was used too much, it would lose some of the impact it yeah. has. But because like it's, it's hap- it happens so sparingly that it, like it feels like a really big like special deal when it happens, which yeah, I like. And it's it's one of the few places where some of the stuff like having the knowledge perks and all that can come into play, resulting in like really interesting outcomes and all that. So. I, I guess I can get behind it. Um, yeah. I just kind of wish that the throne in general like played more into the things you do. Like I like the war table and all that, but I kind of wish there were some more scenes of just hanging out on the throne, doing <laughs> throne stuff, um, especially because we get to customize it. Uh, and we also get to like check out, you know, we have a really sick smithing area that's under a waterfall that looks totally awesome and i kind of wish was just my inquisitor's bedroom because i would totally just like chill there all the time that place is super chill (laughs) i dig it um but we can also kind of go talk to all of our various companions and just kind of check in with how they're doing um ken and i didn't really have a structure for this so i'll just name like the ones that i like that stuck out to me um, a couple different characters just kind of remark on the regrets they have. Like, Leliana is very torn up. You know, she's like, she talks about how she had scouts that were out. Um, and once she got word that there might be a threat moving into the area, she pulled them back. And she's like, oh, what if I left them out there? Maybe we could have gotten more warning. Maybe we could have prepared. And I had to kind of tell her, like, there was no way that you could have known what was coming. Right. You made the best decision for people's lives. And she's like, there's the lives of them would have been less than would have been fewer than the lives that we lost in the attack on Haven and all that. I was just kind of trying to tell her that like, you can't start playing that numbers game with people's lives. Like they're all valuable. So, um, you know, I, I mean, one thing that we haven't talked about much yet with Liliana specifically is that she has a very similar mechanic to what she had in dragon age origins, which is that uh, she starts this game hardened uh, and we can either try to soften her over time and get her back to being like the Liliana that she was when we first meet her in Origins, or we can kind of reaffirm that she needs to be this cold, ruthless person that just mm. does not care for, for people. Um, right. I think that makes her a very interesting character in this game that doesn't get talked about as much because she's not a companion or anything. She's an advisor, and she's also like... I feel like among the advisors, she's maybe the least visible. Like you kind of have to go out of your way to go talk to her. And um, she doesn't, you know, she shows up for like 
big cut scenes and all that but like Cullen is just kind of hanging out in the yard talking to people and Josie's right next to the throne and all that and meanwhile Eliana is kind of off in a tower uh, you, you really do have to kind of go looking for her to go yeah. figure out where she is like it took me a while yeah um, another one that um, is really I guess especially right now considering we just got done with the attack on Haven uh, Dory's got a conversation where he kind of has to reckon with the fact that like Corypheus proves what everyone says about Dementor in terms of yes. like yeah. starting the blight and you get to, and we get to talk to him a little bit about what they say in Dementor about that because obviously like they're not going to want to paint themselves in that light um, he basically says like the specifics of what they tell is not that different in terms of like the uh, the chantry and like the uh, you know the the legend of Androste but the, like when it comes to uh, going to the Black City and starting the blight he's just like they say it's not a start spawn I've always just been this thing in the world um, but then he's like mm, now I guess I have to live knowing that and live knowing that this is probably known in Tevinter and everyone's covering it up which kind of sets him off on his particular goal for the whole game. So, always we'll be checking I, in with him. I thought it was how was that was the Golden City? Oh yeah, it was okay. It's two names for the same thing. Okay, right. The Golden City um, that was corrupted into the Black City. Right, right. Was it's the Golden City and then it becomes corrupted with the Dark Spawn. All that becomes the Black City. Okay, cool. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, Dorian's is definitely interesting, especially for me, because I was kind of also learning who he was, and there was kind of this, like, hesitation for him to talk about that stuff. He was like, you know, I understand that we're fighting mages right now, and that Corypheus is, like, a Deventer mage, but I'm not a Deventer magister, and we kind of went through the whole round, so I was like, it's okay, you're cool, you're around, you're hanging out, like, you're contributing, I'm not worried about you. Mm -hmm. Um, you seem like a chill dude, let's get to know each other. Uh... Yeah, not, <laughs> not not like that. That's for that's for your side of the <laughs> game. Uh, on my side of the thing, uh, Sarah had a very interesting response to things as well. Uh, she basically has this whole moment where she's like, "Well, you know, who cares if you know what he says? Because he could also just be saying something. Because the chantry's already always said something, and everybody's always saying something. And this was kind of where I started to like." vibe with her i guess mindset is mm. that she's like there there have always been people in high places saying things and they're always used as like you know instruments to get what they want so why should we listen to them why should we care like if we gotta if we gotta shoot a god we gotta shoot a god you know it's scary as hell right. but we'll do it yeah. um and i i kind of dug that you know she was basically yeah. like yeah it's terrifying <laughs> like the idea that we might be fighting a god but uh, I'll deal with that. The other one that, right. that stuck out was Vivienne. Uh, mm. Just because Vivienne has this great line where she asks you how you're feeling, and my Inquisitor, I was like, I'm mad, I'm angry. She's like, good, hold on to that. Like, let it fester, yep. let it build up within you, let it use it. And I was like, all right, Vivienne, I like you here. <laughs> um, and Blackwall, mm. do, you, do you want to talk about Blackwall's response a little bit? Do you recall Blackwall's I don't think I remember it. Uh, he basically asks you, like, are you the real deal or not? Because right. he's like, um, you talk up on the ramparts, and he's like, we'll be able to see a dragon coming from miles off. Yeah, here. yeah. And, and, and he's like, I need to know if you're the real deal or not, because I need to know whether I'm getting... I, I'm joining a thing of somebody who believes what they're, they're saying or whether it's a load of crap. And 
I still kind of gave him my whole, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I've been chosen by Andrasi or not. I just have this power and I'm doing mm. the best I can with it. And he's like, well, that's going to have to work for now and leaves. Yeah. And mm. um, I just thought that was interesting. I'm, I'm very interested because you messaged me the other day. You were like, hey, Blackwall, actually good. Um, I'm interested to get to his stuff and kind of delve deeper yeah. into his character. Yeah. Unrated character, that man. Like, profoundly so, as I'm, like, the kind of more distance I get from his stuff, because I'm, like I said, I'm ahead of our playthrough, so, like, I've gotten to uh, his companion yeah. stuff, and, yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, we're pretty much caught up to where I am, because I've gotten, I've fallen behind on my playing, so I've got to mm. do some, some Dragon Age binging this week. Yeah, well, not um, nothing about it like i don't know what this if this conversation might happen at haven for you but um we had to have a, i had to have a conversation with cassandra vivian and solos about cole yes um, i had the same conversation okay i i assume uh, it wasn't haven I, I i believe that is cole's like welcome to haven quest or welcome to skyhold sorry mm, okay. was yours was yours in haven no, it was it was in. I mean, it was in Sky we were getting attacked when he got when we got there. Oh, okay. so, yeah, yeah. So this was um, a skyhold for me. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like they're trying to suss out what he is, and uh, Cassandra and Vivian are like, "Hell no, get this thing out of here!" And Solus is like, "No, this. He's not. You know, he is a spirit, but he's not. He's not malevolent, right?" And so I'm like, "I'm I'm a mage. I'm not, I'm not scared of no." Spirit, so I'm like, I want to talk to him. I want to understand say, what I'm uh, dealing with. You're not afraid of no ghosts. <laughs> yep, basically. <laughs> um, and so you know, Solus and I go talk to him a little bit, and he kind of just he shows like this, uh, how he helps people. Like there are these uh, soldiers that are lying there, and like they're still kind of not in great shape after the fight at Haven, and he kind of um helps them peacefully go, and. Mm-hmm. So, like, you get, you get a sense, like, this thing, whatever Cole is, isn't here to hurt anybody. And, like, he it clearly has the opposite of intentions. So, I'm like, he can stick around. Like, I, I see no reason to just usher him away when he's done nothing but help us at this point. Yeah. Um, the thing I found interesting about his moment here is that he's, like, he's helping he's feeling the pain of the ones who are dying Mm -hmm. and is kind of frustrated that he can't really do anything about that. And he has to just feel the pain, but there is the one that he feels just like, Oh, they need water. And he brings water over. Um, and that's when you kind of start to get the idea of how you're going to shape Cole one way or the other, because Cole is another one of those characters that you can kind of have an effect on over the course of the playthrough and, and end up falling one way or the other. Um, and I think it is interesting. I just I need I need a little bit more than what he is right now for me to start really caring because again, like I'm not ever gonna have him in a party because it doesn't make sense to have two characters of that class that load out mm. in the same party ever. Even if we do have all these changes to healing and stuff that we've talked about, it's still putting like two glass cannons in a party. Um, yeah, but the. I, I am interested to see what kind of story stuff uh, Cole leans into because I didn't get into it much when I played the game originally and I, I yeah. kind of regret that and obviously for this one we are playing all of the companion stuff so I'm, I'm looking forward to that um, 
do we want to talk about a character that shows up even though we're not doing their quest until later uh you brought it up so we might as well um so after we have regrouped in skyhold varick shows up he's there you know we can kind of talk to him a little bit uh and he makes mention that he's going to put in a call to a friend because now that varick knows that corypheus is involved he's like i need to put in a call to somebody as he walks off cassandra is like it better not be who i think it is because i will kill him uh and as we go up onto the rampart there it is a character creator screen our favorite character in dragon age um one of the coolest things in my opinion that this game does is bring hawk into it um it's just a bonkers moment when varick is like i'm going to go get in contact with somebody and cassandra's like oh it better not be who i think it is and then it's like meet them up on the ramparts and the whole time you're just like no way no way no way and then what should be this amazing moment where where your hawk just strides into view and you're talking to this character that you played as through all of dragon age 2 instead because of the way the game is built because of the changes to the character creator they put you in a character creator screen with a default male or female hawk depending on which one you chose uh like what save file you loaded and you have to like design your hawk and then you get to see hawk and they're very upfront about it they're like choose what your hawk looks like and i'm like oh man this you were ramping up so well and this just kills the pacing like just shatters it um and it was easy for me because I went default Hawk in my playthrough because uh, I wanted that sick blood mark that Hawk has in all the trailers and stuff. Uh, so I basically just chose default and I modified a few things to make the default look a little bit closer to my Hawk from, from Dragon Age 2 because you can't really get it one-to-one perfectly. Can I imagine you had to do a lot more tweaking with your Hawk? So... One of the frustrating, like, most frustrating things, uh, I, have, I have a long list of frustrating things with the Dragon Age series, one <laughs> of the most frustrating things is that these games don't have New Game Plus. I have played yeah. Dragon Age Inquisition yeah. three times. Once when it came out, a second time about four years later, third time for this show. I have had to recreate my Hawk, mostly from memory, three times. Um... Luckily enough, like, I, I had, like, the forethought my last time to screenshot more. Because, like, I, I guess it took me a few years to own the PlayStation 4 to, like, get in the habit of screenshotting things. Um, so, like, I had, like, a reference to look back and, like, get as close as I could to what was, like, as close as I could get him from, you know... Because, like, th- there's an engine jump. So, like, there's no way to make the character look the same way they did in 2 as they did in Inquisition. Just because, like, the games literally do not look the same. Um... It doesn't bother me so much. Like, the pacing of it doesn't bother me. Like, that is kind of just... You're, you're given a character creator in the middle of all of it. What bothers me is that, like, there are still... By this point, which was the third game in the series, there were very easily fixable issues with the way that the game, like, kind of... A game that, you know, is ostensibly supposed to be built to be replayable. Um, mm-hmm. 
the way like the way that they could have gotten around some of these issues in subsequent playthroughs they just don't do like and they do it in mass effect like they don't have like that excuse of like oh there's something in like the same files of the way that we make these games that doesn't make that possible because it's, it's not like they just choose they make that choice to admit it but there's also the keep the dragon age keep which is the thing that like i don't really know if we've mentioned it much at least not in the, English, in the inquisition playthrough i don't think we have um it is a thing I that we talked about it at the very beginning of this we might have we, like imported our keep files because i remember talking about how annoying the keep was to work with mm, maybe but if you have had like if you have like a bioware account or and you know granted a lot of this stuff has kind of like changed hands over the years as bioware's like kind of online features have moved around as it has with ea um like the file of what my hawk looks like exists in the keep like mm-hmm. the same way that um, the same way like the writer your writer can in uh, Mass Effect, like they have like a whole like database of people's writers' faces in those uh, like on a server. It's like I could import your writer's face into my game and play, and it'd be you know seamless. Mm-hmm. Um, so it frustrates me that like I can import the keep, but they don't. They didn't have systems in place to maybe like make Hawk based on the file that they have in that. And, you know, that's, you know, that might be kind of, like, wishful thinking of, like, a thing that is not necessarily as easy to do as, um, like, as I would like it to be. But they also did that in Mass Effect 1 to 2 to 3. Like, they had, like, you you had a face import in there. Like, they had the technology in place to make it where you didn't have to come in and, like, meticulously recreate a character that was on a game you played three years ago. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, once you get past that... It is, like, an oh shit moment. Like, it is, like... I'm not... Ultimately, I don't think I'm a huge fan of Hawk's role in this game for a multitude of reasons, which we will not be getting into this week. But this moment, though, like, it is just, like... It's unlike anything that we ever did in any of these games. Like, Mass Effect had one protagonist all the time, so, like, they... There was never a point to do that. Um... Dragon Age 2, you never saw the Warden because there were all these things in place that, like, there were so many variables there that, um, having that character have that any... will persist forward into Inquisition. <laughs> Which? The, oh, right, the yeah. Warden mysteriously not yeah. being around. <laughs> the whole thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you never had that moment where, like, you're... Not to get, like, super philosophical, but, like, you're looking upon a past life through the eyes of a different character and like you're interacting in ways that like you like it's it's a a weird like out of body like literal out of body experience like you're looking at a character like you have this I mean if you like Hawk like if you like Dragon Age 2 like you have this huge investment in this character that is just standing in front of you and like you have the chance to ask them questions about like how's Fenris like how are like where what's what are you doing right now it's like it's like it's an incredible moment that I don't think really is lived up to but that's a whole thing that we will talk about like five episodes from now i just to just to put a pin in that i i like the hawk moment a lot and i like hawk being in this game a lot and as i think we'll discuss i think some of that stems from how much we see how much we see a character as being like an external role-playing experience versus being like a more like this is like i think 
traditionally in these games you've always had more like feeling of ownership over your playthroughs of these games whereas i've always Mm -hmm. especially like the more that i've played these i've i've tried to like step back and just be like okay i'm playing this character i'm not playing like my character um and i think that i don't think there is a a, there's no right or wrong way that's just two different ways of looking at playing a role-playing game which is ostensibly like you're playing a role and whatever that role means to you however much ownership or agency you take over that role uh is all up to the player and i think bioware works really well when it's giving you that gray space to kind of go either way on it uh Mm. but there is that disconnect uh where i had that moment where i'm like talking to hawk and they're they're kind of responding in the way that my hawk would and i'm just having that moment of like this is so bizarre but then i'm remembering that even in dragon age 2 i was never really selecting full-on responses and the way i did in origins it was always kind of like choose a tone and hawk will respond with that tone and that's kind of that system lets bioware kind of flood these things together in ways where the character can still feel genuine to the tone of character they were in previous right. games um i don't think it would have worked with any other dragon age protagonist like because no. they like and they keep even asked like what was your hawk's personality and like where do they generally lean towards so like, they were uh-huh. able to write a character that mostly or somewhat at least resembles who they were when you were playing um because like you know, we both play sarcastic hawk so our hawk despite the fact that we like they obviously don't look the same they're not even the same gender they do have like that sort of air about them at least mm-hmm. in in you know specific cases like specific uh, dialogue because um, i think hawk is unlike shepherd the inquisitor writer is a more like i hate to call them defined because i don't think that's the word i want to use but like they are a they are one of three people mostly um mm-hmm. So if you kind of have the, like, specific dialogue, like, quippy dialogue throughout, or aggressive dialogue throughout, you were able to give a semblance that this is the same person, at least partially. Yeah. Um, and and I don't know whether I, I feel like that leaves me with a good taste in my mouth about the amount of choice I had to define my character in Dragon Age 2, just being like, oh, wow, they really can reduce my hawk down to one of three stereotypes. Right. Uh, but I, I did find, like, so I, I guess the other thing we should note here um, is that you can ask Hawk about Corypheus, and Hawk is very much like, well, Corypheus was my problem, and I feel like I need to be here to, to deal with Corypheus now. Um, and Hawk, Hawk has been up to other things that we will talk about in other episodes, both uh, the very specific story mission that is kind of what gets set off by Hawk's appearance and in other characters' companion missions as well. But uh, that specific note is an interesting one because I think it does ultimately set up Hawk as this potentially interesting character. And also, like while we're talking about this here and now i'm i'm thinking that this might be the reason why we could see the inquisitor return in dragon age 4 as the main character just because the idea of having to bring in potentially a hawk potentially a warden potentially an inquisitor and the player character on top of that could could be a lot 
Um, mm. So I feel like with all that in mind, being able to import the Inquisitor as a character would kind of solve one of those problems mm. and then also not create the problem of, okay, well, if you're going to be able to talk to an Inquisitor, uh, how do you do that? Uh, how do you turn right. the Inquisitor into a character right. that can be talked to, an NPC? Because that and is like we, ultimately yeah. the problem that's trying to be solved here. Because like we talked about it like throughout these past few episodes, it's like there's not really been a character that they have pulled off in this way. Like the, specifically the Inquisitor that is so malleable in ways that mm-hmm. are they able to uh, really represent in a way that like they couldn't, they didn't really do with Origins. Um, because I mean, I, like, I, I'll say it now. Like, there are a lot of instances of Hawk's appearance that I don't like because there are points where he feels like a catch-all for all three uh, different personality types, and I, like he doesn't feel like my character. And I don't, given that they are that they have been given the character that is ostensibly supposed to be the one that is most easily defined by one of three things. I don't like the idea of them trying to pull that off with a character that is that can be so different, like the Inquisitor mm-hmm. can. It'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I am looking forward to it. And this this specific moment did give me a lot more to think about in that regards than I previously had. I mean, we can also note here that there is a short scene that we get with Cassandra and Varric where the two confront each other. And it's very much, or rather, Cassandra confronts Varric about the fact that Hawk is is here. And we can kind of pick sides and either like defend Varric or, or defend Cassandra. Seems um, really good. Actually, like, yeah, it's, one it's of my favorite good. scenes in the game. It's it's really good, I think, because it it ultimately feels like an evolution of in Mass Effect Two when you have those like uh, your crewmates are fighting and you have to right. pick a side. Only now it's not this thing of oh well you lose loyalty or gain loyalty or whatever. It's just like well one of them is going to think more of you and the other is going to think right. less of you and you're gonna to have to deal with that. And like I feel that's just very it's a it's a moment that is emblematic of how bioware has evolved even in such a short time with these right. systems um the fact that i could like defend Varric and say like cassandra you're being way too hard on him he had every reason to want to hide hawk like he's just being a good friend and the second we knew that corypheus was involved and this was not like some chandry thing that hawk was going to get in trouble but like the the world was at stake like he did the right thing so don't like yeah he he made the right calls um and you can kind of get this thing where like cassandra isn't on great terms with me but she is a little bit understanding of why things happened the way they did Mm -hmm. and you get to like navigate the text through that instead of just being like well i have paragon 90 percent, so i get to solve this problem (laughs) yeah for sure um Let's do the listener question first. As always, we are NormDFM. Uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash NormDFM, where you can go and donate. Certain listeners who donate at a certain tier get their names shouted out every week. So let's do that real quick. Uh, Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, Just Colin, Just Reds, Just, Zach Mickle, and our new donor at this level. I'm going to try this name once. I will do a short named after that. Uh, if, if you have an issue with that and, and you want to give me a pronunciation guide please let me know uh this is a screen name i'm assuming <laughs> the the wedge of destiny and a banana on a steak uh if you have 
any guidance for that in the future or if you'd just like to go by wedge of destiny or something we'd be happy to do that as well you can just reach out and let me know i'm at cmoosey on twitter you can dm me there you can hit up the normandy fm gmail uh the twitter the the comments whatever uh we will see it uh we do have a listener question from i'm pulling it up right now don't worry uh just reds who is one of our donors who who donates at the tier where they can ask us questions we'll talk about them on the air just reds asks have you all read any of the recent dragon age books that came out um so by this recent one i'm assuming to winter nights is is the one that's being yeah. referred to here that's that's one of them yeah which uh, i i have read and i've i did there's uh i wrote a little bit about it on fanbyte uh, i think the headline is uh where did I put it? I just opened it up. Uh, it's something like Dragon Age uh, to Vigil Knights is best when it's about people, not places and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, And if you've listened to this show, you kind of probably have an idea of what my thoughts are on it. Um, generally, Dragon Age's external media is the stuff I tend to avoid because it does have that thing where Bioware is like, we don't give a fuck about preserving like the illusion of character or like players having agency over this world. So they write their own canon and like there, you know, there are books about or books and comics about like characters that might be dead and they're like you know they don't even frame them as like a what if scenario per se. They just like this is this is a, a thing that happened in this universe whether you like it or not. So that's why I've kind of avoided it for the most part. Um, Defender Knights in particular uh, does have in a world where Dragon Age Four like has any sort of like semblance of thematic continuity it does seem like it's gonna be it has like some stories that are like fairly obvious lead-ins into what's happening um but generally like i said like dragon age's external stuff like from a philosophy standpoint just doesn't jive with what i want out of the series and Mm. so i kind of go out of my way to not read or consume most of it I'm not really too interested in any of the, the, the fantasy novelizations that, that Ken just talked about, but I did end up Amazoning uh, Dragon Age World of Thetis, I think mm. this was called. It's sitting right over here. Yeah. Um, which the I have the World of Thetis Volume 2, uh, yeah. which is the one with Cassandra on the cover. It looks really cool. Uh, I ordered that because I liked the idea of having some sort of thing that, from what I read, I was a little worried that it was going to be kind of a recitation of facts from dragon age up till now and it is kind of that but it also has a lot of details that are just kind of relegated to the outer corners of dragon age or Mm -hmm. you'd have to really go digging through wikis which is kind of where a lot of the wikis have gotten some of this information there's also just some cool world building in it i like that it includes actual recipes for a bunch of foods that are like inspired by thetis uh i know there's at least one that i want to try making at some point uh and it just seemed like a good way for me to kind of refresh myself on some of the higher lore stuff as we get further in mm-hmm. uh, especially around like uh the the chantry's history and faith and andraste and all that there is a surprising amount of depth to that world building and that storytelling and refreshing myself on it uh seems like a good idea so yeah, I also recently got War of Thetis Volume 2, and I've had Volume 1 for, like, whenever it came out, because that was around the time the Inquisition was about to come out, so I was, like, in that headspace. I was like, I want that. Um, But 
as it was after Inquisition and a lot happens in this game, um, it's maybe not up to date on some stuff. So I was like, okay, I really want to get volume two while we're on this uh, particular season of the show. And I've been mostly reading it to like go, because like there are some like um, border, like they're like codex entries on characters and like they have like little lore bits of like, uh, like I, I like the Dorian section I was reading, it has like um, notes that were sent between him and his father and Alexius and things like that that you're obviously not going to get in the game, but they give that little extra bit of context. It's like I want to like read on things like before we get to an episode, I'm like maybe like because we're about to start some of the companion episodes, so I like want to maybe read up on Dorian right before we get to his mission, so like I'm in that headspace to talk about these things and maybe like give a little bit more context in ways that I can if if I can depending on what's on here, um, mm-hmm. outside of the game and just kind of talk about things in a more holistic sense. I feel like this stuff also just fits in a little bit better with the way that lore is told because i think about this stuff a lot like it's not just dragon age that does this sort of thing like overwatch uh does it where they tell Mm -hmm. a lot of their story through external fiction uh league of legends has always been very big about this through through tons of different avenues that they tell their story with and they've even kind of changed or retconned uh different characters with external fiction uh it's and i feel like even with more recent games like apex starting to do it uh it's becoming a very real thing that external fiction can shape like internal game worlds and that Mm -hmm. does provide you like an interesting way to get around the ideas of like oh ludo narrative dissonance and all that kind of stuff or like how do we get this idea across but you know we have to put out a game and a game is difficult to make and everything we do in the game requires x amount of work whereas it might be easier to tell some stories in a format that does not require hundreds of people to be working on it but instead requires like an artist and some writers and i know Mm -hmm. everyone who's listening to this podcast who has worked on these is cringing at the idea of me saying that just takes an artist and and some writers to make these books i know it takes a town to build these (laughs) build these things um but I think it's a different kind of work that can also like meld differently into different production timelines from mm-hmm. a video game, and it also doesn't have to like. I would say it also doesn't have to like fit gameplay mechanics. Exactly. Is, yeah, that, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is like it doesn't have to be in a game necessarily. It can be told in a medium that could build on the strengths of other things. Or you know, it's now you don't have to. I think the major one that I like the major advantage that I see is now you don't have to tell the story from the perspective of the player character. Now you mm-hmm. don't have to tell this Mass Effect story from the perspective of Shepard because that's how you play Mass Effect. Uh, now you can tell it from somebody else's perspective and learn more about them. Uh, and sometimes that works and sometimes Kyling eats cereal, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, it's, we take the good with the bad. Um, the other thing that we wanted to get to today uh jeff grubb over at venture beat uh noted summer game mess custodian has returned from his vacation uh as as listeners would know jeff was the one who teased a while back i mean just pretty much straight up said like there's a mass effect remaster happening like a mass effect trilogy remaster and he also said it's not coming to switch (laughs) not right away uh but that report obviously like um that's been discussed a lot uh we discussed that on here he has resurfaced with a new entry in his summer game mess today and one of the entries in his calendar where he lists out all the stuff that he 
either knows is coming up or has heard is coming up uh in october he has an entry titled remaster with two s's remaster obviously a thinly veiled hint that some sort of mass news will be coming in october um ken to me in my personal opinion not not informed by anything i have to do this because i swear to god if anyone listens to this podcast and writes a damn news article about this i'm changing my twitter name to make fun of your website uh and then it, you'll embed the tweet and my name will be making fun of you and you're just gonna have to live with that that's that's the the consequence that comes with this you know i'm gonna use social media to my advantage um this is my pure speculation my personal opinion uh, it makes a lot of sense for there to be an announcement of Mass Effect in October timed to a November 7th release date. Obviously, you, oh, you think it's going to be... Okay. And seven day, I think that makes so much sense. Like, that mm. lines up with them. I'm actually opening my calendar now to look and see what day November 7th falls on this year. Falls on a Saturday. Maybe not. <laughs> mm. uh, but either way a mass effect remaster trilogy remaster could be happening this year so ken i want to put two questions up there for you okay i'll put two up number one do you think this is good timing do you think october could be a good timing for a mass effect trilogy remaster october 2020 so i want to clarify something here so uh-huh. is is the implication here that we are getting news in October or that it's coming in October? There, uh, this is Jeff just being Jeff. He's mm. he's vague tweeting as as journalists on Twitter are wont to do at times. Um, we we all have, I mean, same if you go on like Resetera and you follow a lot of like the the insiders and stuff who leak things on there, they will occasionally be very coy about the things they say. Uh, and that's for good reason you know like sometimes you maybe have like this is me again talking personally not speaking with any knowledge of what jeff's situation is uh sometimes you maybe have one source on a thing so you don't feel like confident enough to report it but you do feel due to the gravity of the source or whatever like it's not something you could necessarily report on and say like confirmation like this is it like locked set in stone and in the age of covid i understand like why anyone any reporter would be hesitant on this stuff because it can shift at a moment's notice uh i've already heard a lot of stories of announcements that were supposed to happen that shifted last minute because of things that have happened um that being said like he he is teasing it in some way which means he's he's at least somewhat confident that there is something coming in october involving mass effect i mean previously when he teased something like this i think it was in some really roundabout way it was like a joke about i think it was like a joke about goose from top gun or something like that Hmm. and ultimately it was a reference to star wars squadrons getting revealed is what he was teasing um he was he was pretty on the nose about that so um but I th- hmm. The implication here is that we're getting some sort of news about the Mass Effect remaster coming in, coming in October. Um, okay. 
So, so let me phrase it this way. Do you see this year being a good year for a Mass Effect trilogy remaster? And also, like, really the question that I wanted to bring up out of this, because of just seeing it in October, um, what, what do you think about the idea of a Mass Effect remaster potentially happening so close to next-gen console launches? There's a lot to unpack here. First off, I think if it is coming in, like, okay, let's say, for one, let's talk about one scenario at a time. If it's coming out in October, I, that bothers me in a little bit because that means that it must not have been a substantial enough uh, update for them to have brought it up at EA Play. Because if they're going to be, if it's two months from now and they still haven't announced it, then I don't think that they thought it was a big enough deal. And that one, that one that can be attributed to the EA thinks that remasters mean nothing to anybody, even though that's demonstrably not true. This is something people have been asking for basically since the PS4 and Xbox One came out. Um, if it's news of it in October and the actual release date will kind of maybe coincide with that, uh, like the extended art book that was that showed up on Amazon, I think, um, which I think was listed for like February or February or March, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. um, that seems like enough time between an announcement of something and the actual release of it that there is something worthwhile worth hyping up. Because if they don't, if they think that it's you know just this port that they're putting on. I don't think they're gonna make a big deal about it because that is the EA way. Because like I think they announced like a burnout remaster in the middle of like a this is a reel in somebody's uh, presentation, um, and if that's the case, I mean they'll be backwards compatible anyway. So I don't know that like I don't know that like a release date close to any like any console launch necessarily will hurt it in the long run. I think it's just like it, you're gonna play it on whichever system you have. Mm. Um, I don't know. I would... If it were up to me, we would have heard about this like three months ago when we were at EA Play and Bioware was mysteriously absent except for showing me a fucking tree. Um, so I think like there's enough people want it enough that like it doesn't really matter when it comes out because I think the people that want it are gonna buy it whenever. Um, mm -hmm. If they want it to be like kind of like a I don't know if re it's like a soft reboot relaunch of the series in the public eye after the perceived uh, dud that is Mass Effect Andromeda then maybe launching it close to some consoles is not ideal um, and it's not like it's not like EA doesn't have like business sense of the biggest publisher in the fucking world so like they don't I don't think I was gonna say I don't think like they don't realize what they have but like they, I think if they had realized what they had they would have one released it years ago and two maybe not let Andromeda be pushed out in the way that it was and then can it or like can the DLC and then put the series on ice in like this weird limbo that it's in right now um mm -hmm. I don't know I guess it's just like my reading on it is I don't think short of like launching it well no I guess if they put it almost as like a pseudo launch title it would probably help it but um I don't think short of like burying it and like not letting the world know it exists which is basically what they did with the Burnout remaster. Um, I don't see any scenario where this could go wrong. Unless they just, like, utterly sabotage it. 
so to the point about the burnout remaster um i think that was more a case of their experimenting with like because that was as far as i remember like the big thing was that that was coming to the switch i think that remaster had already been out on other platforms i want to say um i'm gonna double check myself on that real quick because my overall feeling is that like prior to this year i would have felt a little um <laughs> i didn't want to say burned out but <laughs> like i i would have felt a little down about um about the idea of a remaster okay so a remastered uh version titled burnout paradise remastered uh was released on march 16 2018 for playstation 4 and xbox one uh and then the nintendo switch one was the one that came this year um so i think i understand why that one was kind of buried as a real because as much as it, like burnout on the switch matters like the only people who are going to care about that are people who don't already own it on other platforms and just want it on the switch um but but i understand to your point like ea in general is not known for remasters right like they're not necessarily and it's not even just like it's not even like just not known for them that they straight up are like they've they've been anti remaster for like almost a decade at this point yeah and and to be fair like a lot of their games aren't remaster friendly in my opinion like yeah uh, what are you gonna do remaster madden like um yeah. some madden fans would argue that's what they've been doing for years <laughs> so um shout outs to the franchise mode fans y'all are struggling i feel it um but the the thing about a potential mass so was changed my mind about this is seeing the command and conquer remaster because mm. that is a combination of things so that is an extremely old franchise that ea has that has all kinds of bad negative press tied to it because for years ea was kind of much like bioware like people would point to the ea purchase and the ea decisions as being the reason why that franchise went under and ea does not have a lot of goodwill in that area and so when they did command and conquer remastered like ea went out there and they went to petroglyph and they went to the people who made the original command and conquer and said we're going to make this thing that is just devoted to the way it was and then build it up as much as we can and we're going to talk to the community and we're going to build the thing that the community wants do i think the same thing is going to happen with mass effect not because i don't think that there's that level of let's say polish that you could do to the to the effect of taking like a literally decades old game and bringing it forward into 2020 uh, uh, but with mass effect one yes there are like yeah i was gonna say like there's at least one instance but yeah. but i'm talking the difference between like a 90s video game to 2020 taking a game that used to be like you know 480p or however much it was to 4k and being able to switch it on the fly like there's some stuff in that remaster that is just bonkers to to see happen and to see work and work so well and it, it had its issues but that that's it mostly around the fmv uh everything else in that game is great uh i, I love that game uh that being said that's what i see a mass effect trilogy remaster as being is not even necessarily just getting mass effects back in the limelight but like 
getting EA on positive turns with the idea of a new Mass Effect by being like, hey, okay, mm-hmm. we care. So we're putting out a trilogy remaster, a thing we don't normally do to show you that we care about the health of Mass Effect. I mean, I, th- I wrote a piece, I can't remember if it was this year or last year because time is just a, a flow at this point that all just mashes together. But I wrote a piece that, like, it's... I think it was for November 7th, actually. Um, that was, like, it's time for a remaster. And I pointed out, like, unless you own a gaming PC, there's not really a good way of getting the trilogy in one package. And even then, like, PC has its own kind of quirks that you got to deal with. Right. And these patches that you got to install to make it work with modern systems and have that look that you would expect of a PC game. And... Uh, them putting that out there gives a lot of fans like a way to re-experience all that stuff i mean you know that the social campaign would just be huge of like everybody being like oh i'm booting up the trilogy and i'm playing back through mass effect with a new shepherd and here's what i'm playing oh my god like everybody talk about like that would get them so much goodwill mm-hmm. um all that said i would honestly be surprised if we see it this year for a variety of reasons like covid being the main one because Mm. again like look at how much look at how much has been delayed out of this year i feel like this is me personally it was a bit idealistic to think that like next gen consoles and next gen games could be launching this year given all the the halts that have been created because of covid and so at least like some companies are being like hey we can't put out halo infinite this year (laughs) we need to back that up we can't put out bloodlines too we can't put out tales of arise we can't put out guilty gears drive i'm naming all the games i was looking forward to that were delayed into 2021 um but to that extent you know it could happen and and in in that weird case it landing in october there's like precious few other games that are really coming out this holiday season like when i think about the major ones it's cyberpunk watchdogs valhalla right like those are the big ones that i can think Mm. of that are that are coming out even stuff like yakuza and death loop while they're games i'm certainly interested in are kind of on a different like not the same scale as that stuff but i feel like a mass effect trilogy remaster could at least reach that tier like that yakuza tier that death loop mm. tier of notoriety just in the amount of goodwill it's going to garner and the amount of people like i know i'll probably send some messages off to friends being like hey it's on ps whatever now like go play it <laughs> mm. <laughs> um but all that being said like we are kind of extrapolating out of grub's right. tweet there's nothing else really mm. there right now this is all us speculating yeah and um, i think before we like kind of cap off um, yeah, I think my ideal situation would be us to get news that it exists in October, and then it end up coming out or like aiming for it, depending on like COVID pending. Um, it'd come out like in you know the first quarter of next year because then that if they're gonna have that long tail of marketing, that implies that there might be something worthwhile in terms of like an update specifically to Mass Effect One because like all the things we we said about um like you know bringing the series back in a way that is meaningful and will get a lot of people on board for a new game in the series. I don't think you can release Mass Effect 1 as is in 2020 or 2021 and 
get that same groundswell because that game's trash. Like, let's, let's fucking say it. We, I mean, we said it was the first eight episodes of the oh, show. Like, I did it, not say it was. Tra- hold on, I did not say it was trash. I say it has its issues, but that's mostly around the fact that some of its like its combat feels off and playing the game. It's, it's born of an sucks. RPG era that does the, not always that feel game, conducive to it. Playing that game sucks. Everything about the act of controlling your character in that world sucks. Story's great. Character's great. Being in that universe with the control in your hands, making Shepard move and do things sucks. So bad. And you can't release that game 13 years later and think it's going to be perfectly fine. You can't. I don't think you can like port as is to a modern system and expect that to get the job done. But you don't um, think I, that's going to have... Like, that could be a double-edged sword, too. Is like, what if you put it out and the version you put out sucks? Like, it's it's worse. Like, Is it better to you, not try? Like, I... And, and how much of that game is built around those things functioning the way they should? Like, the way they're supposed to? Versus the way they could in a Mass Effect 2 system? Like... Would that start to break? Would that start to break like the balance of the game open if suddenly now you're able to output say different damage than you were supposed to? Like suddenly you've stripped away well, the maybe think, system. I mean, maybe then maybe things need to be like fixed from the ground up because I I genuinely think that game will sour more people than it will bring people on. Mm. I I mean I'd be interested to see other way. Um, Part, part of me would like to think that just with a fresh coat of paint, it could still shine. Because I think a lot of the stuff that holds me back about it is a little bit more in the... Um, let's say, like, presentation side of it, with, with characters just kind of talking at each other, standing still. And so if you added a little bit more presentation, that might just be the thing that could take it over to being like oh yeah this is a remake of it because there is a little bit of leniency when you talk about like oh it's it's a remaster you know it's this is what the game was like it's this thing and and it's this is like, what it was like back then like the mafia trilogy is coming out right now um and uh-huh. two got an up res three is like the definitive sort of like i think like the dlc and uh, three uh, is all... basically just three with all the dlc yeah but one is getting like a full-blown remake yes um well, and, remake to be in the engine of the other two games, basically. Right. So I don't think it's like... It's not inconceivable, I think, that you can get Mass Effect 1 to at least like a comparable state to its sequels, and that really comes down to it. Like, we've... I'm like implied, like, EA doesn't like remasters or remakes or anything, so I don't know how invested they are going to be to make that happen. But I think that's like... I, I think they need to like kind of step back and be like, what exactly do we hope to accomplish with this? Beyond, besides besides having this sure thing, what do they what do they want the end result of this remaster to be? And I think if it's not like if it's just a cash in, then why why bother? Like, because I don't think that that accomplishes anything that anybody wants. Sure, right. of like I guess the people like the preservation. So like I want exactly the same experience, but on my PS4. It's. It's difficult to know, it's, and you know we we won't know until it's out and and it's it's a thing and it exists and it's not just this theoretical we're talking about because of Jeff Grubb's tweets. But <laughs> um, it is interesting to think about. I know I would probably. I mean, would you play through the trilogy all the way again? Oh, absolutely. Not even a question. Yeah. I say like I say all these like hurtful things about it. Like I'll play that fucking game again. I'll like 
anything I will to keep like that's play all three again. Yeah, I mean that's like there are like a handful of games that, like I own on so many different systems because I'm like I want access to those games at all times. That's why I still have my Xbox 360. Despite the fact that I have no re- like I literally have no other games that I would play on it right now uh, or ever. Does it um, does it still have Scott Pilgrim on it? Uh, there you go. That's why you got no. It doesn't. It. No, oh, it doesn't. come on! Punt that thing out the window. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as, as soon as they announce this remaster, I will. Um, um yeah, yeah. If if Ubisoft ever makes a remaster of, or, or after, I thought you were talking about the Scott Pilgrim. I was like, I don't know, man. Even with all that's happened in the last week, that still kind of seems like a pipe dream. <laughs> uh, best of luck to Scott Pilgrim fans. <laughs> And best of luck to Mass Effect fans. So that kind of ends our, our main quest stuff for, for Dragon Age Inquisition this week until a later date. Um, we are going to get back to the main quest at some point, but we got to take some uh, shortcuts here to talk about some very specific characters. And we can say with 100% certainty that next week we will be talking about Dorian. Can yeah, prepare your your giant diary entry for this one <laughs> hey, um, i have had like in almost all of these seasons i have had to hold off on talking about my boyfriend of all these games until like either midway through or like near the very end so i deserve this i deserve to start with dorian pavis and inquisition so help can, me god can have a little dorian as a treat <laughs> uh, we will see you all next time for a treat of an episode here on Normandy FM. We have watched and waited. 